This is The Decade's Best with Nick Menezes. Live chat on highlights of the past decade. From the best songs, shows, movies, and more. Live from CMRU.ca. And to your host, Nick Menezes. Welcome back, MRU, to another episode of The Decade's Best. I am your host, Nick Manassas. Last week, I promised that we'd be talking about the best movies of the past decade. We brought in with us a guest, Dane McLean, a fourth year and a huge fan of cinema. Say hello to the people, Dane. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate being on the show today. No problem. Glad to have you. So, the decade proved to be yet another decade of cinema with great new directors, new actors rising, the rise of superheroes. It had it all, and there will be more to come. So, what did you think of the whole decade in cinema as a whole? Yeah, like, I feel like any decade could be looked at as potentially the best in cinema. Like, there's an argument to be had for every decade. But I personally... I think that the 2010s could be known as the best decade in film just because of, like, not only has creative writing and just, like, story um, storytelling just evolved so much, but just technology is, has just advanced to, like, mind-blowing levels. So pairing these two things up or these all these elements up, yeah, like, what a decade, and I'm so excited for 2020. So am I. 2020s in general. Yeah. And also, the 2010s led to more new ideas as well. Like, perhaps the best example that comes to my mind is Inception yes. by Christopher Nolan. Very good choice. Very very good film. Like, I had a hard time figuring out where to put that in my list because that's... I have it in my top 30, I believe, but that's a shame or that's a, that's a complete crime because it's like, what a good what a good film to be in the top... Only top 30. I loved Inception. That's, uh, that's a film that just... I still don't really understand. I've seen it twice. I probably still need to see it a few more times. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and it was probably my one of my favorites by Christopher Nolan, who, by the way, is my favorite director ever. Very good choice. Yeah. Very good choice. Yes. His films are usually come up with very original thinking, thinking outside the box. And what do you think about him, about his filmmaking? Oh, Christopher Nolan's one of the best of this of the 21st century by far. Like just his his life story too. How he um, he started off kind of in a humble way and he's built his career up just um, you know just by his pure passion like he didn't have a leg up in in any form um, and the amount of movies he's made Dunkirk Dark Knight Rises oh, yeah. Inception Interstellar like mind-blowing amount of films and the scope of each of them and sure is. it's incredible he's he's one of the best and I'm definitely watching his new film Tenet which yes. is coming out this summer I, I haven't heard much about it but I'm super excited now that you mentioned that I didn't realize it was coming out so soon it is it's going to be exciting and now let's get to the question of the day what is your favorite movie of the decade favorite movie of the decade that yep. is that is something that I still don't know if I've really like you know I, I might have to revise this my, my opinion might change in a week <laughs> I feel like coming up with my favorite movie of the decade it's like just looking at what I feel will be a movie I love 10 years from now 20 years from now just like a timeless movie yeah. and that for me 
I'd say I've only seen it maybe twice, which is funny to say for a favorite film because a lot of other films in my list I've seen like more than twice. But number one I, I put in my list for today, uh, 2013's Her, Spike Jones. Um, Joaquin Phoenix. I think it's his one of his best performances that just kind of skyrocketed him into kind of the the um, echelon that he finds himself in now is just like one of Hollywood's best and I think this movie kind of was the stepping stone to um, where he is now and I mean like everyone knows him now as being one of the best actors right. of this generation but I think it's all kind of started in the late 2000s early tw- uh, 2010s and her was a good example of just his range of acting it's the one where he falls in love with an AI that's voiced by Scarlett Johansson yes exactly <laughs> well, you got it if you think about it it's Joker and Black Widow David <laughs> yeah. speaking of which Joker which Joker. I think was the most talked about movie of the year 2019 yeah yes I, I saw Joker in cinema and I was I was blown away like I, I knew I would like it I didn't know how much it would like actually affect me and how much I think about it for the next few mm-hmm. weeks because I heard I heard reviews and I knew that it would be a heavy movie but that was something I wasn't quite expecting at all me neither in fact just like you I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch this movie until I heard about the good reviews it's been receiving and the standing ovation and got at the film festival so I gave it a go and wow like Joaquin Phoenix like really great performance I'm not surprised that he got nominated for an Oscar this year Um, yeah he's churned out so many performances that could have potentially won him an Oscar and finally I feel like you know he was really recognized this year fully like I mean he was recognized for um, walk the line I I don't want to mistake myself um, but I know he was nominated for I believe he was nominated for walk the line I'm gonna have to fact check this later but he's just been showing like in almost every performance just like how an actor can just reinvent themselves in every movie and just never be like the last performance which I think is incredible and uh Yeah, he's a generational talent. Absolutely. He sure is. And I think that this is a performance that Heath Ledger would definitely be proud of. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Like, it's amazing that you'd have one character, like the Joker, that's been played by so many big names, but like... It doesn't feel like it's it's not the same Joker at all. Like I'm not looking at the same Joker no. at all. It's like a, it's a brand new character in a lot of ways. It's the same theme and it's the same like surf like kind of surface level. But it's so, it's so different from the Heath Ledger Joker. But it's so it's it's an equal kind of an interest like. I'd love to see kind of what happens next with the Joker. Like, who will play the Joker next? And can they live up to Ledger and Joaquin? That's so true. Who knows? That's hard to follow now. (laughs) And what I think is my favorite movie of last year, and the whole decade as a whole, would be Avengers Endgame. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think this film was perhaps the most ambitious crossover yet. And as the guy from... From honest trailer put it best himself in a year where now everyone hates Game of Thrones yeah. and is now worried about the future of Star Wars Endgame it did the impossible it brought like a satisfying ending to a cultural phenomenon 
Yeah, I still I still need to see it. I feel bad. I haven't even actually seen it fully, but I've. Why? I know it. You're gonna have to like show me one of these days. We're gonna have to do like a screening in here, like. Oh yeah. A Grandpa shampoo. Definitely. Ben style screening. Oh yeah. T one one nine. Because I I need to see it. I I've, I don't know how I've slipped through the cracks and I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> like I, I saw like I think parts of it on I think a flight. I saw parts of it playing, but I haven't I haven't actually been able to sit down and watch it yet. I haven't. I still haven't covered everything this second. I feel like I'm. It's just. It's due. It's overdue. You will love this movie. I guarantee you. It is inevitable. <laughs> I think it is inevitable. Like I'm gonna have to see it at some point. I don't know how it's. I haven't seen it yet. So please forgive me, Nick. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to introduce me to Endgame. Oh, I will definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and at all. And speaking of Endgame, this year proved to be big for superhero movies as well. Yes. Huge. Like, um, I think we were talking about earlier, kind of off mic, um, Joker is technically a super, still a superhero movie, but I, I kind yes. of forgot that it was because it's so unique and that's kind of the, it's showing the evolution of superhero movies when Joker is still a superhero movie, but you don't recognize mm -hmm. it as one. It's, true. Like it's showing how writers are just taking more risks and um, the whole good and bad uh, good versus evil thing is kind of uh, it's, it's blurred now and we're getting fresh fresher and fresher films out of this we so, sure are yes yeah. and as I said before off mic again one of my favorite directors Alfred Hitchcock yes. once pointed this out that in the old days heroes tended to wear white save kittens from trees and villains had mustaches and kick dogs wherever they go but today's audiences I think are more smarter than that we don't want that we want people like us a human being with flaws, with failings of their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because life is, is a, it's all perspective. And I mean, there, there really is no truthfully good or bad in the world if you dig deep enough. Like, like it's all historical context. It's all difference in ideologies and perspectives. So for movies to kind of break this barrier and finally show that there is such... Um, there is such another perspective that we've kind of cut out from a lot of these heroes' journeys and kind of yeah. neglected and not looked at deep enough. I think it's finally starting to change where we're thinking, okay, like let's think critically about what heroes are and what villains That's are. True. Yeah, more anti-heroes now. Yeah, and like I think you guys mentioned in your last episode that I really enjoyed listening to you and Ben Goodman. Um, TV and film in the 2000s and uh, early 2010s kind of uh, brought forth that anti-hero protagonist storyline, which people hadn't really seen before, like in the 20th century. I don't think that was a very common thing, especially not on mainstream films and cinema and TV. Um, now it's really part of the mainstream to have anti-heroes, and this is quite a unique kind of era for us. It is, and not, ju it is, and not just in protagonists, but also the antagonists. It's, it leaves the question of whether their actions were truly justified, or whether we should pity them or not. A good example of this logic would be Whiplash. Oh yes, that's yes. in my top, that's in my top 20 of wow. the decade, top wow. 25 at least, yeah. yes. Yeah, J.K. Simmons, yeah. he stole the show. Yes, oh absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's a film that, oh my, like when I saw that for the first time, I was like, I, I hadn't seen anything like it, like to take 
it's such an it's an unconventional story. It really is. Like, it's very personal to the to the main character, Miles Teller, Miles Teller's character. Yes. And but it just it just you can just relate to him on every level. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a musician or whatever your field of study is. Like, we've all felt like that when we've kind of pushed ourselves yes. to be better or to succeed, and maybe we're running into obstacles. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's one of the best of the decade. Maybe so of the like since 2000, that would be up there as one of the best. I agree with you on that one. And yeah, I it is relatable because it asks the question: How far are you willing to go to get what you want? Which in this case is to succeed in something, to impress your mentor, your instructor. Exactly. Yeah, and like I said, like J.K. Simmons, he really nailed that performance as Fletcher. Like he playing a very realistic depiction of a like an abusive instructor or teacher and I think he's one of these this decade's best villains yes. as well yes and what makes him more complex as a villain is that like most real life villains he doesn't see himself as one mm-hmm. he sees himself as like the hero of his story and it's like a clash of two people that think they're you know they're both the heroes of their own story like most of life everyone kind of sees themselves as a hero they don't really see themselves as a villain you could very well be the villain in someone else's story and you don't even realize it you might not be you know self-aware enough like his character to see that he's causing you know so much pain in someone else's life so very observant my friend well thank you i feel like um yeah, Whiplash was just, it, it was, it's a, like any good movie, I think, like any amazing movie, it's like a cautionary tale. Like, that's kind of why I have um, her as my number one of the decade is because um, that's also a cautionary tale. It shows how when things are kind of taken to the extreme, it's never good. Like, no. when technology is taken to the extreme where people are isolating themselves from real life contact, and in this case, in her, Walking Phoenix's character, um, his kind of loneliness leads him to kind Kind of living a life of kind of um, you know it's not in, it's not reality he's he's in love with an AI but to him that's kind of his reality but to the rest of the world he's he's not really taking part in the true you know the true um, socialization and and uh, human connection so that's kind of showing you know it's a cautionary tale of technology we shouldn't be too dependent on technology it can aid us and help us um, in times of loneliness but it's, it's a good societal critique just like whiplash of like don't take anything to the extreme I mean or if you are going to just be ready for the consequences because with any you know great jump into something you're going to have to deal with all of the, yes. the things that go wrong because there always will be that's right and when you go to the extreme and you and you manage to achieve that goal then you'll be asking yourself with the question was it really worth it exactly yeah yeah that that one makes you second guess a lot of you know just ambition in general like you don't want to you don't want to isolate yourself or alienate the people you love just to get to where you think you want to be right like is it worth suffering to that extent some people might say yes some people might say no i guess it depends on you know what you think is a healthy way to pursue your passion or maybe your passion is just everything you live for and you're ready to to suffer for it 
it's pretty it's a pretty interesting thing that you could you know debate in your head for a long time that's right so what you're practically saying is that and also what the film is saying as well is that misery builds character okay yeah that that film definitely yeah and I don't I definitely don't agree with that like sentiment on like a real life level I don't think people should push themselves to misery just to achieve success but it is it, it does happen to so many people like you hear stories of aspiring celebrities musicians artists politicians whoever right that just go through such hardship to get to where they want to be and kind of losing loved ones losing family members kind of experiencing these really dark times and you know you could look at it as an inspirational but you could also kind of feel bad because there's a part of them that's kind of deeply hurt in that process yeah. and that's never you know never a good thing it's all a matter of perspective let's say yeah, yeah absolutely also this decade proved to be another big decade for horror the horror genre yes yes oh man yeah and horror so, movies are getting just i think more and more interesting too like superhero movies like it's, it's not easily easily identifiable anymore what is a horror movie like I, it, for me um one of my favorite movies of this last year 2019 um was the lighthouse um and the uh, robert pattinson film um that in my mo- in my mind sorry i can't speak that in that movie in my mind is kind of in a way a horror movie even though it doesn't fit the traditional elements like there's so many elements of horror in that even though it's more kind of a drama or a psychological thriller like it's almost scarier than a horror and it's just it's just ever so changing i still gotta watch that movie by the way the lighthouse you would love it yeah i think you would love it yeah i'm a big fan of horror by the way like horror is my favorite genre of movie because it's that kind of film that you get to use your imagination a lot yes as well exactly and what really amazes me is that now horror is finally getting its due like now it's being nominated for more awards it's getting recognition from critics before during that time horror films didn't receive that much recognition with a few exceptions but now we've got get out yes. which is the latest horror film to receive an oscar nod yes i i loved get out i saw that in cinema too um yeah that that even that movie like on the surface it doesn't seem like it's a horror like but it is like that's kind of that's just the interesting thing about this last decade is just like that's such a unique story and it is, it's terrifying but in a way that you never really would have imagined previous <laughs> so true like it's horror let's say it's now more subtle before yeah. we had mass killers clowns demons but now the monsters as get out has has shown can be ourselves exactly yeah yeah they get out i remember watching that in cinema i think it was like it was probably two years ago now or three years sorry no three years ago 2017 yep and i remember i watched that alone in cinema which is not usual for me i usually don't watch movies alone but i watched that one alone and i was just i walked away from that movie just like i just felt so weird after <laughs> seeing that but it, that's a good thing like it's it, it affected me quite deeply same with the lighthouse kind of a similar way where you're walking into the cinema just like oh man i don't even 
I don't even know what to think of what I just experienced, but I I really enjoyed it, even though it was really disturbing. <laughs> One of my favorite horror movies of this past decade came out in 2018, A Quiet Place. Oh, that's the... Um Yes, the actor, I forget the actor's name. John Krasinski. John Krasinski from The Office, yes. I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard really good stuff about it. It is. I, it's probably the best, one. I, I think my third favorite of 2018, and I hear it's now on Netflix, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that, because yeah. the whole premise, uh, you'll explain it better than me, but it's basically you can't make noise, right? That's right. Because someone, or there's something out there that's kind of hunting yes. them, that yeah. will hear them. Yeah, I, by sound. I'll explain it better. Sure. Yeah. It's about a married couple with their three children trying to survive against these creatures that hunt by sound. So if you make any noise, then the creature will find you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That would that would be yeah. a bad world to live in. <laughs> Just not like, listening to music. Well, I mean, through headphones, but I like to blast stuff, so. And this film, it perfectly nails the message of show, don't tell, because yeah. there, is, uh, there is almost no music and no dialogue. Log, and it still manages to be effective in scaring the crap out of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You could almost kind of say that's like an experimental film in a way, just to like... Oh, yeah. Strip it, strip such a key element of a film out of the film completely, yeah. which is sound. And yes. tell a story just basically in, in a visual form. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually my favorite trope in horror, which is the trope, nothing is scarier. Relying on using nothing, and like the, the fear of the unknown, let's say. For example, you're in, you're in the ocean, you're all alone, and there's a shark, but you can't see the shark. But not seeing the shark is much more scary than actually seeing it. Like, you don't know it's coming. Yeah. That's the fear of knowing the danger is here, but you don't know when it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, uh, speaking of that, I can kind of point to Cloverfield. Did you see the original Cloverfield in the 2000s? Ah, uh, no. Great, great film. Really good film. That's not a horror film. That's, well, I don't know what you'd consider that. I don't know, but it has elements, I guess, well, not really horror, more suspense, um, more drama than anything. But the whole the whole movie, there's this um, there's this giant creature attacking New York City. You never actually see it. You just kind of you just see the destruction it's causing. You just see, you know, you just see how the characters, the length of the characters that are sorry the. The length the characters have to go to to escape kind of like the crumbling inf infrastructure of the city, but you never see the um, the creature until the very end when it's finally revealed to you. That's it's true. Like this one shot at the end, they're like, wow, so this is the character that's been causing all of this like mayhem for the last two hours. And so that makes it scarier because you're imagining in your head like what this thing is. You have no idea what it could be. And, uh, I think your mind can sometimes make things scarier for sure than sure like is. anyone running up their stairs at night when you turn off the lights in your basement yeah. and you run up the stairs not yeah. knowing what's behind you. Yeah. It's all in your head, but what's in your head is sometimes scarier than That's what true. Could, you know. The mind can be your greatest ally or sometimes your greatest enemy. Yes. And I know this may be a classic example, but it's still relevant in what you just said. Like one of my 
my favorite horror films would have to be Alien. Yeah. It used this trope well. Like, the Alien, the movie is two hours long, and despite two hours, the alien only shows up for just four minutes. And in those yeah. minutes, it, like its face is covered in darkness and shadow, leaves you wondering more. What, like, what could the creature be? And in those four minutes, with just four tiny minutes, the alien became now one of cinema's most iconic monsters. Yeah, I didn't even realize that four minutes. <laughs> like, to think that's like, that's the identity of the film is this creature. Yeah. And yet it didn't need a lot of screen time. That just shows you don't need to focus on the, the sort of... Mm, whatever antagonist is in the film because yes. I guess you know in the way it's kind of the, the antagonist of the film but yeah what's what's psychological is sometimes much scarier That's true. and then if it's just a short reveal it's even more scary because you're left wondering like I don't really fully understand what that is or where it's where it's coming yeah. from why it's here like it just it makes you it makes for much better conversation after with friends and stuff it does where you can like talk about the theories behind where this character came from it does yeah, yeah. in fact when I first saw Alien I was I didn't like it at first because I thought but they didn't show much of the alien but I gave it a second viewing and now I appreciated the movie more than I did before yeah second viewings usually usually do help in that way they do um like a second viewing um thinking like Ex Machina. Have you seen Ex Machina? Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Uh -huh. I don't think I'm saying it right. Sorry. I know I know that it's probably, from what I've heard, usually pronounced Ex Machina. Um, that film, that film I had to see three times, four times. Whoa. And <laughs> like, se the second time brought me more satisfaction. The third time even more so. And I think every time I watch it, I like it more because... The first time you're kind of like just baffled by the the CGI, kind of like the technology is just so good, right? It is. Um, Ava, the the AI in that film, like it's just like it's so lifelike, but it's also so surreal. Or you're like you're kind of focused in all like the visual, like the cinematography is incredible, and just everything about it looks good. So you kind of don't focus so much maybe on the important parts of the story and of the kind of message. But watching it second or second time, third time, or fourth time. What a, what a movie. Like, you just learn more and more, and you kind of start relating that to the, the state of the world and technology, society today, and it's like, wow, okay. It's like the equivalent of her, you'd say. Yeah, definitely. Ex, Ex Machina and her, like, I think the two best AI films of, like, well, for sure, the decade, because they're in my mm -hmm. list, top of my list, but maybe maybe ever, even. Like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, that's, that's got to be the, the best AI film, and that's what's inspired Ex Machina. And to some extent, I'm sure even her was partly, you know, influenced by the grandfather of AI films. But yes. I feel like I just love AI films in general. Like they're just they're just so <laughs> there's something so subtle about it, but it's so similar to the world we're living in that you realize that's what's scary is that we're living yes. in a world that AI has yeah. significant exactly. power in right now. We're becoming more dependent on AI. Yeah. Like, it's now taking control of our lives, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the big debate that, you know, like everyone, the scientific community and 
like that's kind of the thing that everyone's kind of talking about right now is like sure. what's the, what's the future like with AI? Like I, it'll eventually surpass a lot of the capabilities of you know the average person. So what what will we do to kind of make sure the structure stays in place? Because you know once you create an AI and they have you know almost lifelike um, emotions, who's yes. to say they're not a real person at that point and they're just as deserving of um, life as a human will be at that point. So that's kind of the thing in um, Ex Machina in 2001 is how, you know, once, once an AI could learn to outlive, you know, people because in 2001, you know, obviously at the AI, Hal, right? Yeah. Hal's in the, um, notices that there, he's going to be disabled and he's, his life will come to an end. So an AI that's smart enough to recognize that will do whatever it takes to, to survive, whether that's, you know, kind of in a, it, it commits a crime, like what it tried to do by locking the, so um, true. Yes. locking the passengers of the, the craft out. But yes. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's going to be really interesting to see how AI films evolve because it's going to be more and more in the, in oh, yeah. the mainstream because this is the time we're living in, right? So true. And I know we're using classical examples, but still the classic movies, they still are relevant in our past decade as well. Absolutely, yeah. And that comment you mentioned about how the cinematography distracts the viewer from Ex Machina, mm. I think to me the same can be said for The Revenant. Oh, yes. That film was visually stunning, like yes. so full of scenery. Yes, that's in my top, I have that as my number five of the decade. Um, yeah, that's just like one of the best visual films. It was. And I mean, it's it's kind of biased for me because like it's filmed 30 minutes from here and mm -hmm. that's a big part of it but even if it wasn't filmed like I know part of it was filmed in Chile too so um, it wasn't yes. filmed entirely in Alberta mm -hmm. but um, just just the way it was shot like and how you're just like what I what I feel with the 2000s and the 90s was that films could could um, be a period piece and make you make you feel like you're in another time but the 2010s is just like totally shattered that where it's like you don't even feel like you're watching a movie anymore no. like you feel like you're actually there in like the or, or the late 1800s i think that's so true it yeah it is just it just feels like this is what i imagined it probably was i didn't live in that time and i can't time travel so that's like i felt like i time traveled in that movie and that's what great movies can do, right? I got that feeling too as well. And I regret not having watched this movie in the theater. Oh, yes. Or IMAX. Yeah, that's that's where I saw it the first time. And I, I uh, man, that was a good experience. That was a really good experience. Like, I think I saw it the same night Leonardo was actually, like, nominated for that movie. Ooh, wow. And so it was, I, I, like, I left the theater and he was nominated. Like, I checked my phone later. And it was just, like, the same evening. I was like, nice. well-deserved because that, that movie was yeah. what a performance from you know from everyone but from Leonardo in particular the best yes absolutely he even got mauled by a bear, got and, by a bear. and had to cauterize his own throat <laughs> and was buried alive yeah just the lengths you go to to make something that you know will be remembered I think that movie will be looked at you know in the same way that um you know, a lot of movies like Dances with the Wolves or um, Last of the Mohicans, um, just these grand epic movies that 
know the rev- I don't know how the the runtime of the Revenant, but I'm thinking it's a bit over two two hours and thirty five minutes. Two and a half hours mm-hmm. is what I was thinking. Yeah, and like that's that's a lengthy film, but it's not one that you know feels like it drags on. Like it just it, it feels like it's necessary, like yeah. like the last of the Mohicans or Dances with Wolves. Like those are I think those are even longer than the Revenant, but the Revenant mm-hmm. was just like to tell a story of that scale. It needs to be long, and I never found myself bored just because I know a lot of I heard a lot of people have differing opinions that oh I kind of got bored at some parts, but I never I never felt that way with the Revenant at all. Like me neither. The cinematography just was like it just pulled you in, and it just is beautiful to look at. So I never got bored for a second. It sure was. <laughs> it sure was. <clears throat> and it was actually also filmed in Patagonia, which is yes. in my homeland of Argentina. Oh, Argentina as well. I'm uh-huh. sorry. I thought it was. Chile. Was part of it in Chile, too? I don't know. But you're right. I think it was Argentina, mostly Patagonia, which yeah. looks a lot like like Canada a yeah. lot. So that's why they, that's that makes sense why they shot there. It's very similar. Yeah. yeah. So Speaking of Argentinian films, I actually have uh, Wild Tales. That's the, the English name. Um, I should have written down the Spanish translation. But that's... That's a top 25 film for me, Wild Tales. I just saw it in 2019. Um, my girlfriend showed it to me. Uh-huh. And uh, she showed me so many good Latin American films. But this film, this film in particular, like it's an anthology film, so it's four movies in one film. But they send around the same sort of same sort of themes of like revenge and kind of anger that can lead people astray in situations where they should really just stay calm and everything would be better. And it's, it's one I highly recommend because each, it's like, it's basically like four 25 minute to 30 minute mini films uh-huh. back to back to back. Yep. And new characters, new kind of completely different story, tone, cinematography in each one. But they unify really well. So you have like one story of like um, this wedding where the bride realizes that the, the groom has been cheating on her and it leads to this crazy, crazy, crazy night. And then this other one where this guy, it's just a simple matter of fact road rage incident on the highways in um, kind of the desert and like maybe northern Argentina. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just it just shows how one bad decision of just like reacting on impulse or anger just totally could lead to a very bad situation for everyone involved and each story is like wow really good so that's that's I think one of my highest rated foreign films of the decade definitely from Argentina Wild Tales definitely and one I highly recommend to you Nick I think you would really like it <laughs> I think I would too um, um, by the way the what was the film called again um, so it's Wild Tales ah. so I think I'm going to quickly search here I believe Wild Tales the translation in Spanish that was Historias um, Salvajes yes exactly I, th- I think for some reason it's not a direct translation so it's Relatos Salvajes but ah, I see yeah but it's it's so good it has elements of comedy to it like it's quite Ooh. funny even though it's really horrifying at times <laughs> black comedy I love that yeah by the way I highly recommend it and um, and to kind of carry on with the best foreign films of the decade um, slightly just a few spots higher than that one um, at 23 at 23 and 25 23 at my highest rated foreign film of the decade um, the Colombian film Embrace the Serpent 
Have you? Um, no, no. Oh, it's it's incredible. Like it's kind of the Revenant in in its own way. Like very uh, similar tone. It's shot all black and white in the Amazon in um, wow. in Colombia, like Southern uh, Colombia. And it's just it's an amazing period piece. How and it's very surreal. Like it's like dreamlike. It shows how you know the the colonialists from France were exploiting the Amazon mm -hmm. and taking, you know, um, bringing back to Europe rubber and uh, tree bark from the Amazon and kind of, you know, just kind of wrecking the environment and just disturbing the indigenous people of the Amazon. And it just it just shows how, you know, it's like it's set, it's set like there's like two stories within one film. One takes place maybe 50 years before the other one. So one's like the late 1800s yeah. and then this other story within the same film films like the 1940s mm -hmm. so it's like two really similar European kind of explorers are, are following the same path but like 50 years apart and it shows kind of the evolution of what's happened in the Amazon in, in this span of time and like kind of like what the original um, explorers did in the Amazon and what what led to kind of worse environmental things and kind of tension in these communities 50 years later with the second explorer doing a very similar thing and it's just a really good historical film and I saw this in Colombia when I was in Colombia. Wow. You went to Colombia? Yeah, I was there wow. six months in 2018. So that Whoa. was that was like a great movie to see in Colombia because it's like a Colombian film made by directors from Colombia about the history of the country. And it just changed changed my life. I was just like, whoa. In the same way The Revenant did, just like this this really epic film that is very historical, but it's just it's just show, it shows how you know history has been really cruel, mm -hmm. and uh, but makes for some very very incredible cinema. It does. Looking back on it, and how was the scenery in that film? Very very beautiful, like shot in black and white. So not as much obviously like not visually stunning maybe as mm -hmm. The Revenant, but in its own way very very beautiful. Like the contrast of black and white. I love black and white as a as a stylistic choice a lot of the time. So it just looks great for the for the tone of the movie. It's uh, very fitting. I see. Very fitting. Yeah. I think we're gonna be moving on to a bit of a debate here and there. But what did you th what do you think of the decade, the rise or the fall of Star Wars? Oh well, that's the thing. Like I loved Force Awakens when I saw that in cinemas. I was like, okay, I'm on board. Like this is going to be interesting. I saw in like Wikipedia how many more films they were planning back mm -hmm. in this would be in like 2015 2016 when Force Awakens uh, came out 15. 2015 and I saw that it'd be like two films for every year for the next 10 years or something yeah. and I was like okay that's going to be interesting like I, I was intrigued by it and honestly I haven't seen any of the other films since like I don't know what what I've been doing mm. but I love Force Awakens but I've I've missed out on all of the recent Star Wars films after that but I feel like I feel like they're from what I've heard, like people have loved a lot of them, most of them, and I know they do. maybe just until the recent one, it's kind of divided fans. It is, but yes. um, I still need to see it, so I can't say from a personal mm -hmm. viewpoint. But what do you what do you think? Um, the Star Wars, the new ones. Well, I think overall I love them, but out of all of them, my favorite would have to be Rogue One. I ha I've seen parts of Rogue One, but mm -hmm. I haven't I haven't been able to watch the full thing for some reason. Uh, I think you will definitely love it yeah. if you grew up with Star Wars, the original and the prequels. This one, it really. Yeah. 
captured the tone of the original Star Wars. Yes. The Last Jedi, which was probably the most divisive out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Personally, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And The Rise of Skywalker mm, it was good, not great. It brought a good ending to the, the story. There were some flaws here and there, but overall I have more positives than negatives on the Star Wars. And Star Wars also paved the way for science fiction in general. The decade was also a great year for science fiction as well. Yes. Yes, science fiction like... Uh, Blade Runner 2049. I saw that. I, I saw that movie. That's in my top. I'd put it in my top 50 of the decade. It's visually amazing. Um, I saw that on, on the plane, on a, on a flight. Uh-huh. So it's always different when you're on a plane. Like it's not the full experience that you know cinema would would give you. But I really enjoyed Blade Runner 2049 just because I loved the original Blade Runner, uh, the 1980 1980 Blade Runner. So kind of revisiting that, I think, was like it was the right time to kind of. Try, try, try reviving it, and I think they did a really good job. Denis Villeneuve, Canadian director, he um, he's one of my favorite directors of this decade, mm-hmm. and you know he um, he also did Arrival, which is another sci-fi. Which ah, I think another watch that one with Amy Adams, eh? Exactly, yes, and I really liked Arrival too. Um, I feel like Arrival. I need to see it again. Like that's the thing. It's like. I like the movie, but I, I need to see it again. But it's a very interesting take on the whole alien, you know, alien film. Where they also don't really show the alien 100%. Well, they do. They do. Sorry, no. They do show the alien enough, but mm-hmm. it's it's not the alien that you've ever seen. And I guess that's what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make. Like... The alien doesn't resemble, or the alien species, it doesn't resemble anything any other movie's done. And it's a really kind of, it's hard to say it's accurate because no one knows what a real life, who knows if there are aliens, no one knows, right? It's all fantasy. But in in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions, like, people say, yeah, this is the most alien-like alien species we've seen in a movie because this is so different. A lot of movies, kind of the aliens kind of have some human-like qualities maybe in how they move or how they kind, of, they kind of look like, okay, maybe that's just a person in a suit. But these are very, like, who could have thought of these aliens? Like, the way they communicate and everything. It's just so... Okay, I can imagine this is an alien because I don't even know what this is. So very that, interesting movie, and that actually fits well with the whole alien concept because aliens are like things that are well unknown, like mm-hmm. beyond our comprehension yes. and understanding. Exactly. Yeah. So I think Arrival did a great job of that, and um, but definitely I need to see that again. Do you say it's your favorite science fiction of the decade, Arrival? Um, that is a good question I think would Max would Mad Max be a sci-fi in any way probably not it would in a way like it's in a dystopian future yeah so yeah that one I loved it by the way well that would be kind of sci-fi in that in that way if it's if you classify it I think Mad Max I liked a little bit more than Arrival so maybe Mad Max would be kind of uh, sure as far as like dystopian films that is amazing that yeah. film was yeah. wow it's pure action yes as one of the characters said what a lovely day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that movie I saw in cinema too. Like I try to see, I try to see every movie that it just really stands out to me in cinema, and that was an experience. I think it was maybe in 3D. I think they did a 3D screening of Mad Max, and I, 
I preferred seeing it later on TV, like normally. Yeah. It was still good in 3D, but it's never it's never really my preference to watch it in 3D. But um, yeah, I've seen it three times and I love it. Like it's oh. it's just <laughs> it's it's an it adrenaline was. rush and yes. really like the creatures. Like I mean, how, like. They're scary, like genuinely, generally, not generally, genuinely, <laughs> also generally scary, but genuinely scary. This, like, I've never seen these sort of like this sort of makeup design before. But it's, uh, it's me just too. me wow. neither. It's like, it's so good. <laughs> and it rightfully won its Oscar for best makeup as well. Yes, yeah. that well deserved. That makeup was, was good. Like, was. man, I think Jimmy World they did a music video that. Uh, I think only like a few people will know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> five five five. I think it took some inspiration from that movie, and really interesting makeup. Wow! <laughs> I want to see some more of that film. Just like this, really, you know, otherworldly type characters that are just like, like, like one of our shared favorites. I think we kind of talked about this off mic. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh huh. Yeah. Just these fantasy characters that are just what? unbelievable and just. They just make you feel like you're in a dream, like Pan's Labyrinth. I know that's from the 2000s, so we're kind of off decade. Ah, it's okay. <laughs> As I told you, the classics that make this decade relevant. Exactly. Exactly. Like, um, I guess to be more relevant to this decade, Shape of Water. Like, uh -huh, character yeah. design, incredible. The, the, Del Toro. the creature. <laughs> yes, the yes. creature in that, like... Yes. What a design. It was. In fact, from what I heard, the creature was actually played by Javier Botet, oh. who played many of the, these fictional monsters that you see in horror. Wow. Like the leper, which is one of the, one of the many forms of it in the 2017 film It. Yes. And speaking of makeup, let's also send in the clown. Oh, I actually, no. Send him back. Send him back. What did you think of the 2017 it. Um, I feel bad. I still haven't seen it fully. Like that's that's the weird thing is like I read so much about it. I've watched so many scenes on YouTube, but I haven't actually watched it like complete, which is sounds crazy because that was one of the most talked about films of the decade. But I still haven't really yeah. seen it fully. But I, from what I gather, from what I've seen, like in, in parts, um, mm -hmm. it was effective. Like it was it was. I feel like it's kind of too scary in some ways for kids kind of related because it kind of gave me kind of a weird vibe when you see like kids being kind of the target of this you know yes. creature and apart you, from that though but it, the, the design of the character was really it was and yeah. the actor um, Bill Skarsgård Bill Skarsgård excellent performance yes he did like did you watch the 1990s It by the way I, I've seen parts of the original my mom showed it to me when I was uh, like kind of a teenager mm. and she was like oh it's one of the scariest of Ooh. my time and that was really that freaked me out like even just the cover like just the, the oh yeah the uh -huh. just creeping yeah. between the, the hole like that was just weird and if you thought that was scary <laughs> you haven't seen nothing in for the 2017 you see the Tim Curry's Pennywise is more like oh. the type of clown you'd see at your kid's birthday party yeah but the new Pennywise by Bill Skarsgård mm -hmm. looks like the kind of clown you'd see in a Marilyn Manson music <laughs> video like while well, yeah. Curry was more funny Skarsgård 
Forrest Gump was more scary. Like the makeup work they did was really phenomenal. Like they had to. It took like three to five hours to apply all that makeup. Wow. And to make like his forehead even bigger. Yeah. And to an extra creepy effect. I don't know if you've noticed, but the actor Bill Skarsgård, he did this trick with his eyes. Like one, like one of his eyes is looking directly at the audience. Wow. To add the creep factor even more. Yeah. 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 Like from what I've heard, it, it, it did scare a lot of people. Like I think my parents saw it and they, they came back from the cinema. I never saw mm. it in the cinema with them for some reason. I don't know why. But um, they were they were like that was really scary. Like I think a lot of people were really like maybe they covered their eyes for most of it uh, for a lot of it. <laughs> like that was that was terrifying. Definitely. Maybe that's why I haven't seen it. I'm too scared. Mm. <laughs> my secret's being released. Oh no, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be scared. I used to freak out on horror movies when I was a kid. I was 11 years old when I watched my first horror film, by the way, which was Scream. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved it. I started watching more and more, and now I freaking love them now. Like, yeah. I, usually when my parents are asleep, I'd, I'd wait until it's midnight so I can watch a scary movie. I'd <laughs> shut down the lights, lock the doors, close the curtains. I remember those days. <laughs> Just like, it was adrenaline, it was an adrenaline rush. Just, it, was, it was scary enough thinking that maybe, you know, your parents would catch you watching a movie after dark. That was part of the adrenaline, but then yeah. also, also watching a really scary movie when yeah. you're young was like double, like the, yeah. yeah. Nothing will be like that no. level of visceral experiences as no. it was when you're a kid watching no. a scary movie. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, yeah. now that we're back to horror, I'd like to talk what I think is the scariest movie I have ever seen, mm-hmm. not just of the decade, but ever, which also came out this decade as well. Oh, wow. It follows Yes, that's in my list as one of the best of the decade. Yes, it follows that that movie, like we were talking about before, the 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 creature or the the thing that's hunting the characters that you don't see, and literally it's invisible in this movie. Right. Um, and then you kind of realize the metaphor of what's going on is actually it's kind of like. I've heard some analysis. Maybe it's like a talk of like STDs. Uh huh. Yeah. You know how it allows people after they. Yes. You know, won't go into details, but. Yes. Um, great movie. Like holy. Yes. Like, yes. It left you. It left me paranoid. Yeah. If, like every time I see someone, it could be oh no, that's the monster. Yes. And it had you turning at your back every second after you finished it, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I I saw that. I remember I saw that. I, I didn't think much. You could, I just pressed play. It looked interesting, like it, the kind of neon, mm. you know, cover yeah. on Netflix, and like the cinematography looked really good. We did. I clicked on. I didn't know what to expect, and I was like, "This is way better than I was expecting." Yeah, me too. Like, felt very retro, like, but it was modern. But it, it just had that like a timeless feel to it, like a lot of the '80s, like great horror movies, it was, the 80s, yes. right? Where it just yeah. Yeah. And it also, in a way, it was poking fun at the cliche of the death by sex in horror. Yes, exactly. And that's a common trope in so many past yes. films, you know, like the two the lovers in a car with the steamy windows. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. approaches, like, the whole thing. And that, that that was so different, though. Like, it's not the same cliche. It, exactly, it's poking fun at it, like you said, so... 
Yeah, that was funny. Scary <laughs> <laughs> like, but funny. Yeah. Horror now in the decade, let's say it it was the death of all cliches. Like very much so. Now focusing yeah. on the unexpected. Yeah, like Cabin in the Woods kind of. Uh -huh, yeah. That I, was I, 20s. It was, yeah. 2010s? Uh -huh, yeah. That was kind of the first kind of it follows I can see how it kind of followed that path from Cabin in the Woods maybe in a way mm. how it was like literally making fun of all of the stereotypes in horror movies and uh, but still scary in its own way it was. Funny, but yeah. <laughs> and my favorite not just the scary not scary but just favorite horror film of this decade would be Halloween the 2018 oh I still need to see that yes if you've watched yeah. the original have you yeah I have yeah. this one is a worthy successor to the original like mm -hmm. after so many years of bad sequels and mm -hmm. remakes this one returned the franchise back to its former glory yeah I was That's really anticipating for this one because Michael Myers is my favorite horror villain and one of my favorite villains of all time as well oh yeah Michael Myers that guy's scary the Oof. understatement of the century <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that'll be the quote of this podcast Michael yeah. Myers that guy's scary yeah. <laughs> as most as most people a little bit older than us probably already know yeah. that haunted I think that haunted a lot of people in their teen years it did. like mm -hmm. people a bit too young to be watching this movie like you and I when we'd sneak down and watch movies like that was mm -hmm. what people did in the 80s too yeah. I'm sure and I'm sure that's that scarred a few yeah, people it did <laughs> And a horror movie I still need to watch, and it's now on Netflix, would be Hereditary. Yes, I still haven't seen Hereditary either. But um, I know there's a film that's kind of related to it. Um, Midsommar? Midsommar, yes. And that's another one that I... I feel bad I haven't seen it yet. Like, I wanted to see it before the year ended. <laughs> too. I never got to Because I've heard great things about it. Both of them. Yeah. Midsummer looks looks very scary. And hereditary, yes. too. So yes. we'll have to make that our 2020, you know, top of our list. because Definitely. Do, we have a TV right here. We yep. can do that after this, maybe. <laughs> Find it online. Sure thing. <laughs> and since we're almost there, yeah. I'd like to cap this episode off with our top three favorite movies of this past decade why don't you go first okay so from three to one so number three i have 2011's the tree of life Ooh. have you seen the tree of life i did what did you think of it i personally i have mixed feelings on this one because yes a lot well, of people seem the acting was great brad yeah. pitt and jessica chastain yeah. but i felt like it didn't have a plot true true I, I guess yeah like I, I can see where people come from with that the reason I have it so highly is just like it's one of those movies I don't know what it is about it but when I saw it I've seen it probably twice I I was in tears like I was crying probably every 10 minutes between the music the cinematography and just like the imagery I don't know what it was it touched on some nerve in me that I didn't know I had going into it that just I I'm not ashamed to say I cried like like a baby throughout that movie. I don't know why. Like Terrence Malick, he he's probably one of my you know top twenty of the of the decade. You know he's done Thin Red Line. Um, Night of Cups was was an interesting one, uh, but I feel like Tree of Life was probably my favorite of his. And it just stands out to me as one that just emotionally like just shook me up. 
and I'd, not a lot of movies have done that. So that's that's what I have to say about that. Like, as far as like story, there's there's better stories, but it's good to hear. As far as like a visual, just something that affects me deeply. For some reason, that movie did. And nice. uh, looking back on the decade, like I had to note that as just possibly my favorite. Awesome. Um, number two, 2011 Drive. Oh, I love it. Was that in. <laughs> I was waiting for a chance to throw Drive in, just because it kind of follows the horror element uh, at the end with like Brian Gosling putting on the mask mm-hmm. and like all the the tropes about Hollywood movies. Just yeah. it's just kind of like yes. that Hollywood mythology in one film, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of the the hero, but he follows sort of like the hero that a lot of people um, loved in past movies. Just uh-huh. the selfless hero. He leaves the money behind in the end. Mm-hmm. He does it all for love. He, um, yes. you know, he doesn't want anything more than just to like help someone in a, in a very bad situation. And it's uh, neo-noir as well, neo-noir, which is one exactly. of my favorite genres of films. Same, same here, neo-noir. Like the c- cinematography, that movie influenced so many other movies in the next years following games, video games, uh-huh. uh, music videos. You just see that like Nicholas Winding Refn He's inspired so many other directors, filmmakers, and artists after Drive, and it's obvious in a lot of movies that followed it. Just the tone, the soundtrack, the yeah. the visuals. What else did you? What else did he make aside from Drive? Um, so he's also done the Neon Demon um, a few years later. That was probably twenty. I don't want to be wrong, but twenty sixteen maybe. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn. He's had an interesting career. Like he's gone like. He started off his career in Denmark. He's from Denmark, and he um, he started off by making the Pusher trilogy. These were like these really dark, gritty crime movies set in Copenhagen in Denmark, and um, that kind of like cracked his you know cracked his wall and brought him out of you know just the Denmark scene and brought him into Hollywood and everything, and. Um, he, his career's kind of gone on a roller coaster. Like he he lost money on oh a few of his films, bombed quite a bit, and he kind of responded by you know making the Pusher trilogy, which which saved his career. And you know he's he's super matter of fact in how he speaks. Like he just says like you know he values just making what he wants to make, but the only rule is to just have it make money. Like at the end of the day. You know, it comes from him, something he really wants, but he needs uh-huh. he needs to make money in order to continue making movies. So true. So, unfortunately, you know, like that's it's an it's art is a business and film is a business, and um, he ended up having to make two more films uh, following Pusher just to just to remake the millions he'd lost. I think on I can't remember the film that lost him money, but since then he's responded by like making. Um, um, just a lot of stylistic, like, stylistic forces that are just being, like, maybe not the greatest stories, but just, like, wow, in terms of visuals. I think Bronson was after Pusher, Valhalla Rising, Drive, and then he did Only God Forgives, which was kind of, like, people saw as kind of a, they wanted to see it as a sequel to Drive, but it wasn't meant to be a sequel to Drive, and it's not, but it features Ryan Gosling again in, like, similar tone and style, but it didn't do as well um, critically. 
I still I still like it for what it is visually, and it's a very inspiring movie as like a like an inspiring filmmaker to look at. But the story suffered a little bit compared to Drive, where it's Drive is just like a perfect movie in my opinion. Uh-huh. And since then, he's done Neon Demon, and then also recently done a TV um, series, um, Too Old to Die Young, which actually State Manager Ben Goodman is a huge fan of, and he showed Ooh. a little bit of it. Awesome. And similar to Drive in the tone, That's and I, I'd highly recommend checking awesome. that series out. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm sorry to talk so much about Drive. Oh, no, I, no, I no. It's so okay. It's okay. I, I love that movie as well. <laughs> it's, my, it's my favorite of 2011, by yes. the way. Yes. Oh, me too. Me and too. it actually changed my opinion on Ryan Gosling, that he's not just this model exactly. who just beca- known for his good looks. Like, he really can act. Exactly. Like, and I mean, he doesn't have much dialogue in that film, but that's not important. Like, it's just all in his face, his expressions, his emotions, and how he doesn't have to speak. And it's just, it conveys mm. such an emotion. You get what he's kind of feeling. Less is more. Less is more, exactly. And it's a stripped down film in terms of dialogue, but it succeeds in so many other areas. Just, it's a movie that I want to like, the style of it, I would love to like live in. Like, it's just like, <laughs> obviously it's really, it's a really violent movie. So no, mm-hmm. not for that reason, but like just the, the feel of it, like the beautiful kind of nostalgic, uh, the sunsets, how beautiful it looks on, on screen. And LA, in LA, LA, right? Yeah. It's like a very like dreamlike LA and gorgeous just every shot looks like it's a painting almost like just mm-hmm. it could be it could be you know posted on social media as like perfect like one of those accounts where it's like one great shot uh, it's just yeah. the cinematography is just so good in that film it was yeah uh, and you know this the soundtrack just a huge part of it and so number two I had I had that as number one and then I flipped that to number two mm. and it's like either number one or number two of my favorites of the decade and number one I have uh, Spike Jones Her uh, 2013 just because I feel like um, I feel like it's a film that represents this decade really well just kind of the technological evolution we're all experiencing social media um, Siri on our phones and Alexa's whatever good point um, you know it's just it just touches on like reality but also shows it as as fantasy so it's like we're not taking it super seriously the film because it is it's a film it's not like real life but it just feels like real life in so many ways like just um yeah and it's just a very good i think accurate probably look at the future that we might see in the next 20 years i think it's set in like the 2030s kind of so like the near future but um just I love the colors in that film. Red, especially. Yeah, red, and just like every scene looks great. This the soundtrack is really, really amazing, and yeah, it's just an emotional film. In the end, it has a message to it. It's just you know, you know, he, Walking Phoenix's character, just craving you know human connection at the end of the day, and um, technology helped him kind of move towards that and he eventually finds it kind of ends ambiguously um you don't know if he'll end up falling in love with the woman at the end um oh, the actress's name is escaping me right now but she's a great actress scarlett johansson um not scarlett johansson she's the the voice in that film but there's um like a the actress i'm going to quickly search if we have enough time um oh, it's okay. amy adams Yes, Amy Adams is that ah, film. Ah, I see. Um, because Joaquin Phoenix, you know, 
funny enough, his real life partner, Rooney Mara, that's his ex partner in the film. They have a breakup and he falls in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice, which gets him through loneliness. But then he meets his neighbor, Amy Adams, who's also her boyfriend has just kind of had an affair with a voice uh-huh. similar to the one Walking Phoenix has fallen in love with this AI, um, like personal assistant type thing. And so they kind of end up at the end of the movie meeting and it's like, okay, they're meant together, meant to be together all along. Amy Adams and Joaquin, these two neighbors, like, mm-hmm. um, they were living their lives kind of isolating themselves, even though they were neighbors, but really they just, they live right beside each other and they probably should have been together from the beginning, but you know, people get distracted. And That's true. And let's be honest, if he, if that had happened earlier, the movie would end in like 10 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go through the story a little bit and suffer a little bit, the main character, but sure. great, great film. How about you? What are yours? For me, at number three, my third favorite film of this decade, which came out in 2017, is Dunkirk. Oh, Dunkirk. Yeah. Talk about a movie experience. Yeah. I think this is probably Christopher Nolan's best movie since The Dark Knight. What I love is that it tries to be, you know, how it defies all the standard war movies we've seen. Like, it's not a movie about trying to win against the enemy, but rather to survive, basically. Yes. Like, it's more pragmatic, because in the Dunkirk evacuation, they were outnumbered, so they had to escape in order to win, live today, fight tomorrow. Exactly. And what Christopher Nolan really achieves is that he shows that war is hell without showing too much of the traditional gore or violence that we've seen in other war movies. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts, my friend? Oh, I love Dunkirk. I saw that in cinema. And I just recently, I don't want to distract from Dunkirk, but I recently saw 1917. Oh. And so it's like, I have that in my mind because I just saw it so recently mm-hmm. and they're kind of similar in my they mind. They are. Like, they're war movies, but they're so different. But Dunkirk, I think, was even more of a, just for the sound effects, the just everything, just feeling like you're in a war, like mm-hmm. how it starts off. And it's, I think the opening shots, like in the the, the fighter yeah. with Tom Hardy, right? And he's like right. chasing down, um, they're in the dogfight. Uh-huh. And just like, it just brings you into that scene and you're just like... It doesn't glorify war in any way. No. It makes you realize how scary it was and how these were just kids. And, you know, no one no one really wanted to be there. Like, it's just survival. And, yeah, what a, what a film. It was. What a film. And it's, it's Truly a beautiful was. tribute to, you know, the people that experienced such a terrible part of history. So It sure was. And as a bonus, this also was another great win for composer Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, yes. Oh my goodness, yeah. Best tracks ever. I think he might be our generation's John Williams. Absolutely. Hans Zimmer, he, um, his work with uh, Radiohead with Planet, the Planet Earth soundtrack too, just unbelievable. Like, just incredible soundtracks, incredible scores. Definitely, yes. Like, they they take you in the moment, basically. Mm-hmm. His music is what makes the movie. Absolutely, like, without it, yeah, like, makes you realize how critical it is to have a great score yes. and how much it changes a film. Yeah. Yes. At number two is Logan. Logan. Also in 2017. Yes. It, this film 
Mm-hmm. It really brought a great end to Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine, a character that we've known to love for this mm-hmm. past 17 years. Yeah. It also, even though it's a superhero movie, it didn't follow any of the superhero cliches like good guy versus bad guy. It's more of a story about a man who wants to find peace with his life and redemption from all the pain he's caused. Mm-hmm. A very emotional story. Yeah, I've seen I've seen parts of Logan as well, and that's one I want to revisit. But like we were talking about before, like yeah, it's like mm-hmm. taking a totally unconventional look at um, a superhero movie, showing True. both sides and. Yeah, kind of the precursor to Joker in a lot of ways. Like, it was. sort of was the first to do that, I think. And it's like the Marvel's answer to DC's The Dark Knight. As yeah, well. I, I agree with that. Yes. Totally different tone, like darker, more realistic. And bloodier, finally. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, finally, they let Logan use his claws and actually show blood, unlike the other films, you know, because of the PG-13 rating. Yeah, yeah. I saw like the the two thousands Wolverines, um, like in cinema. I remember seeing that. Yeah. I mean, not bad. I remember like the two thousand. I can't remember the the one. Like I liked it, but I think yeah. Lo- I think Wolverine needs it. It's more mature than I think. Definitely. It was mm-hmm. before, like, and it should be more mature. It's I mean, he has like steel blades. Like that's pretty. Yeah, but, pretty but he stuff. sticks right through your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty intense stuff. So I need to see Logan fully. Oh yeah. Did yeah. you? So did you watch the film? Or Logan? I've seen. I saw it on a plane again. Like I saw it parts. And I never liked doing that because I never fully experienced it. Because like you're distracted. You know, you're not really hearing the the movie properly. But I saw enough that I was like, okay, this looks really cool. But I never saw it like properly yet. So that's something I need to do. I see. And yeah. You should. Yeah. Yes. And finally, at my for my number one pick would have to be Avengers Endgame. Yes. Yes. It really brought everything together, like mm. a very satisfying and emotional conclusion to a story that's been going on for 10 years and spanned 21 movies. Like yeah. They, it shows that they really put a lot of effort and hard work into this movie. Like the, it's three hours long, but nothing feels rushed. Nothing feels like it's slowing down mm-hmm. every single character gets a chance to shine even like the minor characters no one no one gets sidelined it's all built up perfectly like this movie is the, to me the best movie of 2019 mm-hmm. and it truly defined the past decade yeah absolutely like I have a story I was in Vancouver we we're on a sky train and I think it was like a crowd full of people must have just come to see Endgame because they all came on the, on the train and they were all talking about it like two different three different conversations that I was hearing about the movie and I was like this hasn't happened to me like where you just hear it in public like people are just talking about it and that made me really appreciate it because it's like that's a cultural that has cultural significance if like you're getting on a train and everyone's talking about the same movie like that's pretty that's yeah. pretty interesting <laughs> yeah 
as I told you, this film, it was inevitable. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I still need to see it, Nick. You're going to have to show me. You oh, yeah. Me sometime. We can get a little get, to, <laughs> a little get together and watch the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And for one final word, since the Oscars are coming out this Sunday, who do you think, or in this case, who do you want to win? Oh, that's a great question. The best picture. Oh, man. Best picture. Who's nominated? So I know there's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Joker. Joker. 1917. 1917. Us. Us. Little Women. Little Women. So those five? I and would Marriage s- Story. Marriage Story. Well, I've seen like three of those fully, fully, fully properly. And of those, of those, I would say Best Picture either between Joker or Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, that's a really tough call. Mm. Whichever one gets it, I would be, I would say that's well-deserved. For me, it's either Joker or 1917. Yes. And I'll definitely check it out this Sunday. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, this has been really a fun experience with you, Dane. Like, like you, I really, I love movies. I've always loved them since I was small. Like, they provide you with a sense of, you know, escapism. Let's exactly. say, like the movies we watch we every time we go to the theater we watch the movies follow these characters mm-hmm. because they represent who we want to be exactly i want to experience more of these movies i want to experience mm-hmm. more and that's also why i joined this program in broadcasting to be part of the entertainment industry as well exactly well, i'm excited to see what you make nick i think you're going to make some pretty interesting projects and i hope to work with you in the future so do i That would be amazing. And that's all the time we have left. Thank you, Dane. Thank you so much, Nick. I I really, I loved this last hour. This has been so fun. So did I. It's great to have you. And next week, we'll be covering the best video games of this past decade. Until then, see you next week, same time as always, here at The Decade's Best, live from CMRU.ca.